Hey everyone, welcome back to The Essentials, the educational podcast that gives you a truthful, scientific, and fresh take on society and culture. I'm the host, Maddie Flint. I'm finally talking about it. Here's my take on affirmative action in college admissions. First, let's revisit the concept of affirmative action. From Investopedia, affirmative action refers to a policy aimed at increasing workplace and educational opportunities for people who are underrepresented in various areas of our society. It focuses on demographics with historically low representation in leadership and professional roles. It is often considered a means of countering discrimination against particular groups. Businesses and governments commonly implement affirmative action programs by taking individuals' race, sex, religion, or national origin into account when hiring, and it has been widely used in education settings in the United States, particularly college admissions. So these policies were originally thought up to end various types of discrimination, but as we can see, they've turned out to cause discrimination against those who don't fit the left's current view of which people they deem worthy of being labeled as a minority group. It's like being a minority in America today garners special and exclusive privileges based on primarily your race and on national origin. Malcolm X, Booker T. Washington, Rosa Parks, and MLK Jr. fought for human equality not special black-only privileges. Their fight was to end the separation, not continue it in the name of inclusivity. How ironic. The more inclusive the left gets, the more divided we all become. And this is because of their narrow and aggressive focus on separating people based on external factors, such as race, gender, socioeconomic status. This is literally the separate but equal case being implemented again. Sounds like modern Americans and students, specifically college students, really need to revisit the Plessy versus Ferguson case and learn about its results. If Rosa Parks saw the way colleges have clubs and internships, events, scholarships, positions open only for black students, I feel like she would be hurt. So let's talk about the Harvard case. Harvard is facing a lawsuit from a group that opposes affirmative action, accusing it of discriminating against Asian American applicants by boosting other racial and ethnic groups. Harvard has denied the allegations and they say that its race-conscious admissions policy is critical for diversity in education. So then, this case gets taken to the Supreme Court and this lawsuit, I guess, has exposed Harvard's use of a personality test that ranked Asian American groups lower than others. Now, I've been hearing a lot of different takes on why that is. Um, there was one young man in particular who I saw on Instagram. I think it was just like a snippet of a podcast or an interview. I really wish I could remember his name, but I didn't see it on the video. I remember him explaining the reasoning behind all of this, having to do with this image of Asian Americans created by maybe people that are a part of the Harvard admissions group or something that frames Asian Americans as hardworking but almost cold and unfeeling, as if they're just quietly but militantly working and working on academics and that they're kind of just on a one-track mind, which is very, very untrue and is a terrible generalization to make about any racial or ethnic group. I feel like the left would definitely be calling that racist if it was an instance against African-Americans, for example, or maybe women, but I don't know how that whole argument is working for them anymore. That one should be falling apart by now. 
but claiming that an entire ethnic group or cultural group acts on a stereotype and that's the only way that they are and they can't ever deviate from this stereotypical frame that people just assume blindly that they all operate under is kind of a direct juxtaposition on how the left thinks about stereotyping and cultural framing and then treating people based on this idea that they have of them in their head. You know, just a couple of years ago, there was very widespread activism centered on stopping Asian hate, and it was very popular in the college climate in America. And I don't hear any more of that now because the people who stood up and used their voices against Harvard and its admissions process were Asian Americans. And the left is really keeping this under wraps, which is sad because they are proving with this case that they have a specific agenda. And right now it's currently highlighting black and brown Americans as minorities. So they get all the special perks, not Asian Americans. So at this point, they're just picking and choosing who they want their next target minority group to be. And that just garners more divisiveness and tensions between racial groups. And this also sounds like an instance of colorism, which is something that the progressive left claims to be battling all the time. And for those of you who may not have heard of the distinction between racism and colorism, here it is. Colorism, prejudiced attitudes and or discriminatory acts against people based on the color, shade or tone of their skin versus racism, which is prejudiced attitudes and or discriminatory acts against people based on their actual or perceived racial status. So colorism is kind of racism, but going a step further and treating different people of different races differently based on the shade of their skin. And that happens a lot. That, that can happen between people of any racial group. And one instance of this is how biracial people who are half black and half white have encountered lots of different types of discrimination or just kind of been the butt of a joke or the target of criticism from both dark-skinned African Americans and white Americans. And this has been an issue historically, especially during the Jim Crow segregation in the South when white people thought that light-skinned blacks or mixed Americans thought that they could have the same status as white people because they were light-skinned and so they were treated very terribly or in a more modern circumstance um, being mixed has necessitated a lot of online memes and things from the black community because historically lighter skin was preferred but now with the increasing amount of victimization that is being placed onto black American communities there is a lot of african-american self-hate and it's kind of taboo this issue of light skin versus dark skin because they're using skin color to discriminate against each other and that's hindering the progression of the entire black community so that's just one very real instance of colorism it can be found everywhere including in mainstream political media and political agendas that are being carried out by the party that is currently 
in charge of educational institutions and the executive branch of our government. So it's sad that they're operating under this type of a framework where they're actively implementing colorism as a means to make policies and to select college applicants and everything. So from my personal standpoint, affirmative action is not truly fair because if we want to actually progress and move away from race-based lawmaking and giving groups of people different treatment, because all this does is divide, we should get rid of it. Because something that is really easy to separate people by is their race. On the other hand, though, I can't say that affirmative action hasn't led to opportunities for students of color who may have otherwise been overshadowed, because it has. And this is where it starts to get kind of cloudy. I actually received some academic awards from my university due to being a minority. And when I first got the congratulatory email, I was so excited because I assumed that my hard work and studying and my rigorous course load had finally paid off a little bit. And as I kept reading, I started to feel a little bit guilty because they had selected high academic achievers from minority groups, which that's kind of nice because it provides students of color a chance to get some recognition maybe where they wouldn't have. But it's 2023, and theoretically, according to the end racism themes and policies we have, all the students enrolled at colleges and universities should have equal chances for winning these types of accomplishments. So when you see that, it's kind of like they just took you as a subcategory and said this minority is smart. And that doesn't feel good. I think removing race from the application process can be a good thing because kind of like how university professional training classes suggest you not add a photo of yourself on your resume due to the possible chance of choice bias due to race or looks in general. Why can't other areas of higher education just follow suit with that? So while I was just researching stuff about this whole affirmative action controversy with Harvard, I found some data about the financial circumstances of a lot of students in the nation. And I saw on this one site that black students actually got way more financial aid than white students. And I do see two sides to this. One is that admissions teams and administrators probably took into account the demographics and decided to offer black students more help so they can excel in college. And that's a good thing. But white students don't receive aid in the same way, like in that automatic way, which hints at a huge assumption that white students are all financially better off than black students. And this is way too general of a statement to make and stick with, like how the woke left hates any broad or generalized claims. But here in this podcast, I've talked about multiple ways that they're doing it themselves just in this episode alone. So there is a double standard there where they're okay with making sweeping claims about one racial group when it benefits them. But in this case, they are widely stating that white students don't need any financial aid. How could that realistically be true? We can't assume there are no low-income whites, especially under our country's current economic status. We can't just assume that there are no poor white people, no homeless white people, because there are. And there are also middle, upper middle, and high income black families. So by playing that race card of black students are poor and white students are automatically better off due to white privilege, we're really harming both racial groups there. 
So within the Supreme Court, once this case was brought to them and a consensus was made, we can't forget that we have a black Supreme Court justice voting to do away with affirmative action in college admissions. And that justice is Justice Clarence Thomas. He is the subject of so much political hate from the left. The people that aggressively insult him and come against him are the people that claim to be allies of black Americans. And they're going around stating that they know how to deal with discrimination and how to stop it for black people, basically speaking out of turn. And they hate him. That shows that all this colorism and focus on minority groups and all of these other things, identity politics, are only used to their advantage when it benefits the Democratic Party politically. And that's really sad because we do have a lot of instances like the one I talked about between African-American communities where colorism is alive and well on its own without politics. And here the left is actually just creating more. So getting back to Justice Thomas, what can we gather from the fact that he voted against this? That having race as a deciding factor in choosing applicants is not fair. Justice Thomas is 75 years old. He is the second African-American to ever serve on the U.S. Supreme Court after Thurgood Marshall. In 1955, Thomas and his brother relocated with their mother after a house fire to segregated Savannah, Georgia to live with his maternal grandparents. There, he experienced prejudice from other black students. In 1964, he transferred to a Roman Catholic high school in hopes of becoming a priest. And there he became a regular target of racial insults from his white classmates and teachers. Despite all of this, he graduated at the top of his class, later getting accepted to Yale University. But in between the time that he graduated high school and eventually would wind up at Yale, Thomas was still interested in priesthood. So he enrolled at Conception Seminary in Missouri, still planning to pursue a career in the priesthood. He performed well in class and was a standout athlete, but again, he was one of only a few black students and he was again forced to endure the racist attitudes of his white classmates while he was at that seminary. A major historical event occurred during this time also, which was the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in 1968. Thomas recalled this in his memoir when a group of students learned of the shooting and one of his white classmates described King in a negative way and said that he had hoped that King would die. Thomas later reported having experienced a crisis of faith during this time based in large part on his dissatisfaction with the Roman Catholic Church's lack of leadership on issues of racial equality and civil rights. After this, he attended the College of the Holy Cross, where he became an anti-Vietnam War activist and a voice for the black students. So we know that Justice Thomas has lived through the very times in America that activists today constantly bring up and obsess over claiming that the racial climate between white Americans and black Americans is just as bad as it was then. These people are failing to realize that they are indirectly calling for forms of modern segregation. If affirmative action in the college application process truly was a good thing that helped everybody, not just students of color, not just white students, then Justice Thomas would have wanted that. Because he knows through direct experience what segregation of races can lead to and what it feels like to be racially marginalized.
And now we have woke activists over here ignoring everything that he says because he's a conservative. His black card to them has been removed, but they don't have the power to do that. No matter how badly they want to overlook him, he's still a black conservative and he is an excellent Supreme Court justice. So what we all need to take away from this issue with Harvard and the controversies of affirmative action is that implementing policies based off identity politics and manually creating diversity. So now it's something that is fixed because somebody's in charge of how diverse they want their college are things that can backfire and that can wind up hurting students of diverse multicultural and ethnic backgrounds. This is why people on the right side of the political spectrum continue to say all lives matter because we should be caring for each other equally, giving each other equal opportunity. That's what this country was supposed to be about. So hearing somebody say all lives matter should not generate so much hate and so much hostility as it is not a racist remark and it is actually one that could help our country progress in the right direction when it comes to matters of racial discrimination or like with Harvard, discrimination of Asian Americans who are incredibly hardworking, charismatic, determined, and worthy of the same chance of college admission as any other ethnic group here in America. And I think it's really important for us to speak out about all these instances of colorism that are being implemented by the left and by political leaders who are claiming to do this for inclusivity because manufacturing human diversity is going too far. So with that, I'm gonna wrap up this episode for today. I hope that I've been able to share a new viewpoint for you that you can take into account when having these conversations with people around you and maybe somebody will cross paths with you and you'll be able to share with them the effects that affirmative action is having on our college climate and on other areas of American society. As always, thank you for the listen. It's greatly appreciated. And while you are here, be sure to check out all of our other great podcasters that are also right here on the BMG network.